because of his beautiful name. That's why we are jumping into a new series this morning, which will be about four or five weeks, and we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn in your Bible to Matthew 4, or most of you have something on your smartphone, so you can turn or turn that on and look at that as well. Matthew chapter 4 this morning. Thank you for singing. Thank you for praise team, praise band for leading us as well, and we are always grateful for the good music. Hey, did you know that the very first followers of Jesus were not called Christians. Did you know that? They were not called Christians. Actually, what they were called were disciples. The word Christian is actually only used three different times in the whole Bible. Three times the word Christian is used. Do you know how many times disciple is spoken of or used? 281 times just in the New Testament alone. Technically, a lot of people today who call themselves Christians are not actually disciples. Now, let me explain that to you through the preaching time this morning. In our text, in Matthew chapter 4, we get a picture of what a true disciple really looks like. So begin reading with me in verse 18, Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, or fishermen. And he saith unto them, Jesus said unto them, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed Christ. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They were in a ship with Zebedee, their father, and they were mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately, underline that word, they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, I have a question for you this morning, and uh, that is, one of, one of these days I'll get rid of this seat, by the way. Uh, but I'm telling you, I, I walked everywhere. We went to the Bengals game on Thursday. My youngest daughter took me for my birthday, and so uh, fantastic atmosphere, fantastic game. And then uh, Friday, uh, my son-in-law called me up, said, hey, you want to go to the Molar Elder game? And I said, yeah, I'm all in for that. So I've been walking everywhere. So I, it, just be, be really uh, kind to me, and I'm going to be sitting in this chair a little bit more and tighten my, my Achilles just tightens up like crazy uh, when I walk a lot. Let me ask you a question. How in the world did Jesus Christ get these guys to immediately follow him? How, how did that happen? Let me give you some background that will help you to understand, okay? And, and I promise you that if you listen carefully to just a bunch of facts and some background, you're going to understand why these guys followed Jesus. Did you know that all Hebrew boys in the days of the New Testament, they all went to Torah school? Did you know that? Every single one of them, they all went to Torah school. The Torah was uh, just 
learning the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so every single boy went to Torah school from the age of five uh, when they started. The next five years, they would be taught the Torah by teachers, by rabbis. They would memorize large portions of the Torah. And then for five years, they would do that. By the age of 10, there was a weeding out. You say, what do you mean weeding out? Well, only certain higher echelon uh, made the cut. And uh, about 20% of them made of that uh, upper echelon made the cut for them to continue on. The rest of them, 80, 85% of them, they were sent home and they'd go back to their family business. And they would help in, in their family business. Those who remained in Torah school from the age of 10 to 17, they continued on in their studies and in their hard work, and at age 17, there was a final cut. Those of the uh, 20% or 15%, those that went on from age 5 to 10, then they went on from 10 to 17, then there was a final cut. Then you would find, those, those students would find a rabbi that they admired and they would apply to become a Talmud. Now, a rabbi simply means teacher. A Talmud means a disciple or a follower. The rabbis were very, it was very easy for them to be uh, very, very selective of which of those Talmud students they would let come alongside of them. And uh, you got to understand that becoming a religious leader was the best of all possible careers. It was the best. I mean, every kid desired that. Every single Hebrew boy desired to be, their dream was to become a religious teacher. Their dream was not to become the next Michael Jordan. Their dream was not to become the next uh, LeBron James. No, their dream was to truly become a student of a rabbi. The highest compliment that you could pay to a, one of those students, those Talmuds, was to say about him, hey, the dust of your rabbi is all over you. That was like the highest compliment you could give to one of those Talmuds. Now, as we understand this, what I just shared with you, now we can better understand Matthew chapter 4. Here comes Jesus. Here he comes. And Jesus knows the Torah so well by the time he's actually, you remember, you go back and by the time he is 12, he's teaching in the synagogue. Do you remember that? He's leading in the temple. He's only 12 years of age and he's actually correcting the religious leaders, the rabbis that everybody looked up to. Jesus now comes into his early ministry at the age of 30, and Jesus frequently says things like this if you read the New Testament. He often says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, it says that they were so amazed because Jesus taught as one who had great amazing authority in other words they had heard their religious rabbis for years and years and now Jesus comes on the scene he taught and people were amazed and they were shocked 
Oh, don't forget, Jesus had healed diseases and sicknesses among the people. Now, right before our text in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness where John the Baptist is. John the Baptist was a teacher who was filled with authority. The multitudes of people were following John the Baptist. Do you know what John the Baptist told everybody? They said, hey, there's going to come one very soon. His name is Jesus, and he is so much greater than I am, John the Baptist said, that I'm not worthy to kneel down and unloose his sandals. God the Father spoke from heaven, and God the Father said of Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. All right, now we go back to Matthew chapter 4, our text. This Jesus now, that John the Baptist, the master teacher, the one that multitudes were following, John the Baptist says, this one, I'm not worthy to even stoop down and unloose his, uh, unloose his sandals. Jesus now comes along and he does something. He chooses Peter and Andrew, who were fishermen. That tells me something. It tells me about Peter and Andrew, James and John, that they didn't make the cut. Right? They didn't make the cut. I don't know if they got cut when they were five. I don't know if they got cut when they were 10 or 17. I don't know, but I know one thing. They didn't make the cut. When Jesus assembled his disciples... He chose his disciples from the B team, not the A team. Of course, these 12 young men now wanted to follow him. Of course, they wanted to become like him. Of course, they wanted to know him and be filled with his type of power. All right, now let's talk about the text. I want to give to you, I'm not even give, going to give you sentences. I'm just going to give you uh, a, a word. Five words I'm going to give to you this morning, okay? You'll remember these. Number one, the first word, as we look at this text, is the concept. Here's the concept. Jesus doesn't cho choose those with ability, but rather he chooses those with availability. Write that down. Jesus doesn't choose those who make the cut. He doesn't choose those who have the ability. He comes along and he chooses those who have availability. God doesn't choose the best. God chooses the willing. I like the way John MacArthur put it. He said this. He said, God skipped all the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great libraries were in Alexandria. The great philosophers, they were in Athens. The powerful, they were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, Socrates, the great thinker, Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary that it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Folks, Jesus Christ taught 
that his power in the very weakest vessel was infinitely greater than the greatest talent that was apart from him. Jesus Christ chose the B team because his work in this world wouldn't come from their abilities, but rather it would come from their availability. Understand something, and this is going to maybe shock you, but understand this. The greatest preacher who ever lived outside of Jesus, do you know who it was? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. How do we know that? Because Jesus said so. John the Baptist, the Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verily or truly, Jesus said, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there has not risen of greater than John the Baptist. All right? You get it? John the Baptist. Number one, greatest preacher, prophet that ever lived. Jesus said so. But I want you to notice the next phrase. The next phrase says, Jesus said, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven, time out, time out, who's that? Those who have opened their heart to Jesus Christ and received Christ into their life, they are those that are part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said this, John the Baptist, greatest prophet, greatest preacher that ever lived, but, 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 he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. You've got to be kidding me. I, I, I mean, come on. What, what, what are you saying, Jesus? How in the world can I be greater than John the Baptist? Because I sure can't preach like he does. And I didn't have 15,000 people coming to listen to me preach. How can I be great? How can you be greater than John the Baptist? How is that possible? What are you saying, Lord? Jesus was saying, you have more potential for power in ministry than John the Baptist. And here's the reason why. Because you have the Holy Spirit of God that is inside and lives inside of you if you're, his, if you're a follower of Christ. Have you ever seen God do amazing things with somebody that's so ordinary? I mean, somebody who has no talent, and yet God uses them tremendously. I remember a boy who had... Uh, palsy. He was in junior high. He went to junior high camp. Man, that can be brutal. <laughs> brutal for everybody, you know. And he was in a cabin, and sure enough, junior high boys, man, they're not always the smartest, and they were making fun of him because he couldn't speak very well. The cabin director asked that the boys choose one kid to give a devotional one of the last nights of the week. You know who the junior high boys chose, don't you? The kid with the palsy. So they could have another chance to make fun of him because he couldn't speak very well. So they chose him. He was all in. He was game. He said, I'll do that. He got up that night and he started to speak, but he couldn't hardly speak. You want to know what he said? In his long, drawn-out way, he said, Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus. That was all he said. That was it. It took him a while, but that was it. You want to know what happened? The junior high boys began to weep and cry. 
and something came over them. And the camp director said there was an amazing spirit of revival that overtook that camp. Was that that kid? No, he didn't have much ability. But it was his availability that God said, I can use that kid. J.D. Greer pastors a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Some of you have heard him preach. He was the guy at the very beginning we had on PowerPoint. And there are tons of college students that go to his church because he's right there in the area with Wake Forest and, and Duke and University of North Carolina and North Carolina State. Man, there's all kinds of big universities around there. So he's got a lot of college campuses. J.D. Greer pastors that great church. And, and J.D. Greer shared how that when he was in college, he had a Bible study, but it was kind of floundering. Not a lot of students were going. There was about 12 students that were going. And they decided that, those 12 students decided that they were going to do what they could to try to reach about as many people as they could and get them to their Bible study. So they made up flyers and did all those things, you know, that anybody would do. And all of a sudden, he said they were sitting, people in, in the Bible study, they were sitting in the cafeteria and this shy girl who never said much of anything that was in their Bible study, she got up out of her chair and she stood up on the table. It's like J.D. Gray said, what in the world? What? And she made an announcement. I mean, here's tons of college students. Who does that? Especially if you're shy. She, uh, you know what she did? She announced. She just simply announced that they were having a Bible study and she gave the date and the time and the place. 700 people showed up. From what? Because some shy girl who doesn't hardly say a whole lot became available for the Lord to use her. You see, amazing fruit doesn't come from your ability. But rather, amazing fruit comes from our availability. So the first word I want you to remember is concept. There's a second word I want you to remember today as you leave this church, and that is the word choice. Now listen very carefully. Jesus chose his disciples. They didn't choose him. Think about it. Jesus' disciples, they weren't looking for a rabbi. They'd already been cut. Years ago, they're in their profession. They're out there with their dad. They're out there making a livelihood. And Jesus comes along and he chose them when they were in their everyday routine of life. Because he chose us to follow him, I'm going to tell you, it ought to give every single child of God the confidence to obey. Because he chose you, God will see you through. Doesn't matter the size of your obstacle. Doesn't matter the size of your problem. Doesn't matter the size of what has taken place. What matters is the size of our God. That's what matters, doesn't it? Because Jesus said, the Word of God says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus reminded his disciples over and over and over again for three years. Jesus reminded these 12 over and over again. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. All right, time out. What, what, bear fruit, what do you mean? 
to go and win others to Jesus. Jesus' main point here, now I I certainly want you to understand this. His main point is not, hey, I want everybody to know I'm a Calvinist. That's not what he's saying. His main point in saying that, I chose you and purposed for you to follow me. When you and I lack confidence in ourselves, we need to put our confidence in God. And we need to put our confidence in what his purpose is for you and me. Here's the point. He chose us. It is not that we chose him. Word number three. Write down the word companion. Here is a great encouraging point. Jesus said what? Follow me. Guys, you're over here. You're fishing. I want you to leave that. I want you to follow me. That means something. That means that as I follow him, I'm with him. That means as I follow him, he's my companion. His primary call for you is not to go out and do something. His primary call for you and me is to become like him, to follow him, to watch him, to become like him. You have to know him, right? And to know him, you've got to spend time with him. And to really, if we're going to spend time with him, what what does that mean? How do I do that? I better read God's word because that's where I'm going to find out about him, right? I better spend time in God's word. I I better spend time reading his word, memorizing his word. You know, somebody uh, last night, you know, I was with somebody and and they've had had a traumatic situation take place in their life. and they're traumatized by it. What do you do when somebody's traumatized with somebody, with something? What do you do? I'm going to tell you. There's an answer that, uh, that kind of trumps them all. Get into God's Word. Because God's Word will do for you and me what nothing else and no one else will do. Listen to sermons on podcasts. Listen to sermons on, on the, uh, the web. Get into God's Word, reading it, memorizing it, listening to sermons. For me to follow him means, hey, he's with me. He's with me in every circumstance. He's with me in my trials. He's with me in every circumstance of life. He's with me when I'm disappointed with life. He's with me when things haven't gone the way that I expected. He's with me when things aren't going the way I want them to go. He is with me in every soul-winning endeavor. He's with me. I love the legend of the Cherokee Indian youths, their rite of passage. You ever heard this? The father will take that youth out when they get a certain age, and they'll put them in the forest. They blindfold their son, and they leave them out there alone all night long. That boy who's trying to get his passage into manhood is required to sit on a stump the entire night through. He can't remove the blindfold no matter what happens. 
If he wants to pass the test, he can only wait until the sunrise and the sunrise shines through his blindfold and then he knows it's over. He's not allowed to cry out for help no matter what happens. And once he survives the night, he's a man. He's not allowed to tell the other boys about anything about it, of the experience, because they have to go through the same rite of passage into manhood. The boy is obviously naturally terrified. He can hear all kinds of noises at night. You ever go out at night all by yourself and, uh, you know, you sit out there for a while, man, you hear things you never heard before, don't you? He can hear all kinds of noises at night. He hears the wild beasts. He knows that there's a possibility that some human can come and do him harm. The wind blows through the grass and the wind can literally shake the stump that he's sitting on and yet the boy has to stoically, bravely not remove the blindfold. It's the only way he can become a man. And finally, when that frightful night is over and the blindfold is removed, it's only then that he discovers that his father was sitting on a stump right next to him the whole night long. Do you know that's the way it is with you and me and God? There's a lot of things in life that are pretty frightful. There's a lot of things in life that we don't do because we're just too frightened to do it. But God's promise is that we are never alone in this world. He chose us to follow him. And he's our companion. Word number four. You ready for this? Conflict. Conflict. Well, here we go. To follow Christ, here's a conflict. We have to leave home. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. We have to leave home. Notice verse 22 of chapter 4. It says, And they immediately left the ship, and they left their father, and they followed Jesus. James and John left two things that are noted. Now, they obviously left a lot of things, but there's two things that are brought about in the Word of God. They left their boat, and they left their dad. Those two things. Why did God's Word share these two things? They represent the two most significant things in our life. Number one, the boat. What is that? It's your career. Your career. Number two, your father. What and who is that? Your most significant relationship. All right, what was Jesus' point here? His point was to follow him, he must take precedence over everything else over everything else. Now let me ask you a question. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple or are you just a Christian? Have you committed to following him?
Friend, do you understand who it is that's called you? Think about it. He didn't just give us new insights. He spoke to the wind and the waves and they obeyed him. He commanded demons and they fled. He, uh, he spoke to diseases and they were healed. He took and he talked to people in graves and they came out of the grave. I mean, we sang just a little bit ago, he has no rival, he has no equal. That is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is who he says he is, he deserves more than our nod. He deserves more than our casual association. He deserves more than our church attendance. He calls us and he commands us to forsake all and follow him. And he will then do something. He will then make us fishers of men. It's interesting, there are three stages when you look and read the New Testament. There are three stages of Jesus' ministry. First of all, we would call it the come and see stage. That's the beginning stage. You remember, Andrew said to his brother, he said, the Messiah has come. And, and uh, you know, Peter said, yeah, right, get out of here. He said, no, come and see. Just come and see. That's the initial stage. But then it moves on. When we come and see and we receive Jesus Christ, guess what the next stage is? Jesus says, come and die. What do you mean, Lord? Jesus says, what I mean is be totally, fully committed to me. And then when we come and see, we receive. When we come and die and become fully committed, guess what the next stage? Go and tell. There we have it. Go and tell. To follow Jesus Christ means that you subject everything in your life to his lordship. And you forsake all that he has forbidden in your life. And you pursue all that he has prescribed. That's what it means to be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, conflict. Yes, he tells you to surrender all. Now look, that's a scary thing, isn't it? That is a very fearful thing. To leave my boats and to leave my dad and leave it all. Now, we understand that God doesn't say, hey, you get saved and you go forsake your parents. And oftentimes, God doesn't say, if you get saved, you've got to forsake your profession. The point is, are you willing to be surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you willing to be all in? So there's a conflict. Jesus says, leave that. And follow me. One last word. And the word is command. He commands us to reproduce spiritually. Did you know that Jesus calls you to that? Did you know that Jesus Christ has called you? Now I know what you're saying. No, he's called you. And you're right. But I look back at every one of you and I say, if you're a child of God, he has called you. He's called you. He's commanded you. He's commanded me to what? To become a fisher of men. To share 
who Jesus is. He said, follow me, guys. Watch me, follow me. Watch my example. Watch what I do. Do what I do. Do what I say. And by the way, he promises when you do that, then your life will finally be fulfilled. Because there's something in me when I was a teenager, I said, I'm not going to follow Jesus Christ and live some dumb, boring life all my life. No way. And a lot of you still sit here like that. You think when you leave your fish and you leave your boats and you leave it all, then all of a sudden you've got to live a boring life. But Jesus said, no, if you seek me first, then all these things will be added unto you. And the hand of God will be upon you and the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Uh, Tony Evans, his son Jonathan Evans, played for the Dallas Cowboys, and then he played for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I didn't know this part of his life story, but it's interesting. Uh, He played football, loved football, great at football, and uh, he knew that God was calling him to ministry. And uh, he said, Lord, I'll I'll, I'll go into ministry, but then all of a sudden he got another offer because he'd gotten cut from one of the teams, and he got another offer I think it was the Buffalo Bills then and he was out training and working and in practice and he tore his Achilles tendon here's the interesting thing he said he laid on the ground crying and laughing at the same time he, his, he had surrendered to ministry and then another offer came up and he said, now I'm going to put that on hold and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to do this. And uh, his wife said, honey, are you sure you ought to be going back to the, I think the bills? He said, hey, God opened up the door. I'm going. And he did. Tore his Achilles. Now I want to tell you, I tore my Achilles and uh, I wasn't running from God. Just because you have an accident doesn't mean you're running from God. But in Jonathan, Ed, uh, Jonathan, Evans, uh, Jonathan Evans' case, he was running from God. You know what he said? He's never known such joy in his life because he's right where God wants. I love it when God, I love sports, and I love it when guys are athletes and right where they are, they let their life shine for Christ. And they do right there where God has put them. They let their light shine. That's what God's called you to do at your workplace. That's what God's called us to do at our neighborhood. That's what God's called us to do on the field. That's what God's called us to do in the high school. That's what God's called us to do at the university. That's what God has called us to do everywhere. God has commanded us to be right where we are, fishers of men. Every single one of us are called to spiritually reproduce and if we do not partake in reproducing do you want to know what Jesus said he said you're not really one of my disciples I didn't say that I didn't say that I'm just telling you what Jesus said you say yeah where did he say that Glad you asked. John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified, Jesus said, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Friend, every single ministry in this church should be about reproducing. 
Every ministry should be about reproducing. There are so many in our world today, especially the young, and they are so concerned about all the needs of the world. Awesome, great, great. We probably can take a, a lesson from them. Concern about the suffering of the poor and the plight of the refugees and the uh, unfairness of the minorities and helping those with relief. And, and that's all wonderful, awesome. But the greatest of all suffering is eternal suffering. The greatest need that you and I can strive to meet and the greatest suffering that you and I can relieve is the need of a lost eternal soul. So, let's become fishers of men. I want you this week, and we as a staff want you this week, to commit to who's your one. I mean commit. Truly commit. And let me say, I don't want this, and this should not intimidate you. But I know it does. So many followers of Christ are so extremely intimidated by, about sharing their faith. But wait a minute, we have a companion. He's Jesus. Wait a minute, he's called us to this. Wait, wait, wait a minute, he's chosen us to do this. So let's step back and say, may we not be people that are intimidated by this. Listen, we as a church will help you. Tonight, starting tonight, every, for the next four weeks, we're going to have six o'clock uh, time where we will help teach you how to share your faith with other people. It'll be in the fireside room. Come, there'll be childcare for that. We will give you the tools. Simply open up your life to other people. Remember, God commands it. He commands it. A number of years ago, a guy in our church who many of you know and some of you have never met because you uh, have joined since COVID, his name was Jim Neal. Jim Neal, great guy, Jim and Linda, faithful. And Jim had a brother. Um, I probably should let him tell you about his brother, but I'll tell you a little bit. He was one tough dude. You didn't mess with Big Tom. Nobody messed with Tom. Nobody. Tom was as lost and unsaved as they come. There weren't too many sins that Tom had not committed. Jim one day came to me and he said, Pastor, I know you're busy and you probably don't have time to do this, but is there any way you could go with me to Kentucky to see my brother? He told me about his brother. He told me about the gangs that he was in and, you know, his life. He said, would you by chance be willing to go talk to my brother? I said, yeah, I'll go. It's supposed to take about two hours to go to talk to Tim. It was supposed to take that long to get there. And we got just over to not even the bridge to cross over to Kentucky and I'm telling you, it was sleeting, it was snowing, it was a mess. We got over to the, about Florence, and Jim looked at me, and I was driving, and I, you know, we were sliding around, and Jim said, Pastor, why, we can turn around and go back. 
And then he said, if you want. <laughs> I knew what that meant. He didn't want me to. I said, no, we'll go. I'd cleared my schedule for that afternoon and that evening. And we drove all the way into inner Kentucky. Snowstorm and all. Finally got there. And Tom was sitting in his condo. And his mother was in there. I think it was his girlfriend, if I remember correctly. I walked in, and Jim walked in, and we sat there, and I did the small talk thing, you know. Introduced myself. We talked a little bit about what he did, what I do, you know, all that kind of small talk. And then I finally, I finally got into the first part of the gospel. How that Jesus Christ could change a life. He looked at his mom, he looked at Jim, he looked at his girlfriend, and he said, you guys, leave. He said, leave. They got up, and it was just big Tom and me. I continued to talk to him about Jesus Christ. Hey, you know one thing I didn't have to convince him of? That he was a sinner. I didn't have to tell him he was a sinner. But man, when I got into the gospel of Jesus Christ, I tell you what happened. Jim told me that people had tried to witness to him before and he'd just about deck them. Other people had tried to share Jesus and he would tell them where to go. But that day, about a half hour after the rest of them left the room, Big Tom opened his heart and trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Amen. He said, man, way to go, Pastor. Uh, oh, oh, no, 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 no. No. Way to go, Jim. Amen. His brother. Who had enough of a heart and a love for his brother that although he had turned everybody down for decades, Jim didn't give up on Tom. Tom is no longer with us. Tom died about six months to a year later. But I know where he is today. Because his brother, Jim, had a burden for him. And the Spirit of God, our companion, who went with us through the storm of the ice, the companion, Jesus, who goes with us to sit down in a room. My companion, Jesus Christ, who says that guy could pretty much rip you in half. But he can't rip my companion in half. And the Spirit of God broke that man's heart that day. Do you know how many stories are represented like that right here of the people you sit with today. Oh, maybe they're not six foot six and have beaten the tar out of a lot of people. But people with all different kinds of stories, all different kinds of lives, all kinds of different refusals to the gospel, but came to a focal point in their life where 
Jesus broke their heart. And they invited Christ to come in. Friend, whether it's praying, whether it's inviting, whether it's caring, whether it's sharing, whether it's getting a burden for the lost, God's call to you and to me is to be a fisher of men. I want to challenge everybody. Everybody. Whether you're a teenager, college student, young adult, or in your 90s. I am striving by God's direction to challenge this church to identify today your one. I want to challenge you to, by the Spirit of God, have one person that you will strive to win to Jesus Christ in the next year. Oh, with the help of God, because I can't lead anybody to Christ, and you can't lead anybody to Christ, but with your companion, you can. We don't one person, just one person that you're going to introduce to Jesus. And I know you're saying, well, wait a minute, man. I, my one person, they've heard the gospel several times and they refuse, refuse, refuse. So did Tom. One person that the Spirit of God will lay on your heart that you will say, I will focus on them. God will show you, my friend, the one that he wants you to be focused on. Can you imagine what this county would be like, Claremont County? Can you imagine what the change would look like in this county in one year? If a thousand people who call themselves Christians will become disciples in a serious fashion, can you imagine what would happen? So I want to ask you, I'm asking everybody, I wish I could ask you one-on-one, are you ready to be a disciple, a genuine disciple? Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you a fisher of men. Would you bow your heads? I am so glad that you joined us today on our online campus. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ to receive Christ as your personal Savior, or if you decided that you wanted to be all in for Jesus Christ, we would love for you to click the share button so that we can rejoice with you and even pray for you. Thank you so much for joining us on our online campus today. And we trust that you'll join us again soon.